Mortis Maledictum is a cosmic dark fantasy story, and as such may contain content not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. If you enjoy Mortis Maledictum, please join our Patreon page and our Discord community to connect with us and gain access to exclusive content. The links are down below. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome to the next chapter of Mortis Maledictum. I'm Devin McCamey, the author on the team. If you're new to the story, welcome. And if you've been through our kind of cosmic trauma before, well then, (laughs) welcome back. I know up to this point, our team has mostly sat behind the curtain, and don't worry, I'll fade back into the ether soon enough. But before I go back, I wanted to take this small moment to tip my hat to you. Thank you very much. Thank you for being a part of this. If, after the episode is done, you would like to know more about this strange and dangerous world we live in, subscribe to our channel and check out our website at mortismaledictum.com. And for those most valiant among you, I'll let you in on our secret. I've been hiding puzzles all over the stories that lead to exclusive bonus content. And with that, I'll leave you to enjoy the episode. Happy hunting. Once upon a time, in a land near Calais, there lived a duchess named Anna. She lived in a tall stone castle on a bald hill just outside of town. It is here our story begins in the year 1560, Anno Domini. This duchess hadn't always lived in France, for she was of Italian nobility. Married into another house in another country was common among the upper class of those days, and for Anna, it was no different. She did not enjoy this castle and its draft interiors was built for war on residence. And yet, after her husband's successful capture of nearby Calais, he moved on to the next conquest by order of the king, and she lived in rainy solitude near the sea. It is here where we introduce a new face to the story, one not marked in ink to a page in any historical text. This new arrival appeared out of the haze one late afternoon. She was covered in rags and, as is true in most tales from this era, she was a mystic of profound ability. Only those present can tell what caused the captain of the Duchess's guard to allow this witch through the gate. But through she came. History's tomes tell us nothing of this fateful visit save this story. And once the woman appeared in the Duchess's hall, this is what happened. Why are you here, lady? The Duchess asked. For although the witch was far from a lady, The Duchess was a kind-hearted soul. I have come from far away, in a place unknown to most. Before I left through the ether, I appropriated a book written and bound in dread and apprehension and terror. The fear it forced from its readers has soaked into the pages, and I fear for its further circulation. It is an interesting tale you weave, the Duchess said. Interesting, indeed. 
My homeland will soon succumb to a vile miasma which has crept into the minds of our people. I left with the book and all the stories contained therein, with the hopes that its fear-soaked ink would spare the land. But my travels have left me bereft of resources and tired. What would you have from me? The Duchess asked. I only ask for shelter while I continue my search for a place to hide the book before my time is ended. The Duchess, overcome with loneliness and starved for news outside her castle walls, had agreed in her heart before even her offer's words could echo around the Stark Chamber. You may stay with me and protect your charge as long as you like. If only you tell me about this land you come from, and all its wonders. She cared deep and earnest for her husband's safety who was away at war. But though she would not admit it, the Duchess Animoso needed to hear tales of the wilder world beyond her view of the cold sea out of her window. Thus the Witch of the French Wilderness stayed with the Duchess Anna for a year and a day, before she returned her heat to the dirt. The witch fulfilled her bargain with tales of her homeland, and although Anna could see the embellishment for what it was, she enjoyed the stories. Tales of mystical powers flooding the countryside and its people with magic, news of wild inventions, and descriptions of creatures the Duchess could scarcely imagine. Anna's husband returned from his far-off war, but he did not pay any notice of the woman preoccupying his wife's time. He thought it good she had someone to talk to so far away from the courts in Paris. He did not share his fear with her, but she stayed in Calais because he knew there were snakes among the nobles, and dangerous assassins had struck more often of late. A few months followed where the Duchess Anna's heart was full of bliss and adventure. She may not be able to see the places the witch so often spoke of, but by the woman's words she could almost picture them. Her husband left in the summer to command his army again, at the king's command against an uprising militia, and Anna cried at his leaving. Once again, the witch became her only companion. It was the beginning of autumn when the woman approached Duchess Anna, sitting under a tree in the courtyard of her castle. I have a confession to make, Duchess, the woman said. Anna looked up from her book immediately for the woman never spoke with the tone she held now. What is wrong? She asked. I confess, I have enjoyed my time here in your land, and I have not moved onward when I had the strength to do so. Confused, Anna bade the mystic to sit beside her. What is wrong? She asked again, this time with concern, touching her voice and eyes. After all this time... I have never introduced myself properly. The witch appeared to choke up and small tears held fast to the corners of her eyes. Yes. The Duchess agreed. You have been quite aloof with me. My name is Alia, and all the stories I have told you of my land are true. 
but it is not a land without its mark of evilness. I did not write the book I protect, nor was it given to me. I stole it from the being who causes my land to wither. I took it in hopes that if I carried it beyond my borders, my country would be safe. Then you are brave and noble, the Duchess said, not yet understanding the gravity of Alea's story. My travels were too much for me. I have been. She paused here, looking for an accurate answer. The walk across the mist has deteriorated me. Our lands were not meant to touch one another. I fear it will soon be my undoing. Do not speak of such things, Anna answered, fear and shock now ringing in her voice. Alea put a comforting hand on Anna's arms and offered her a wan smile. I have time enough left but not to complete my duty. You must promise me, when I am gone, you will neither read the tome nor allow any of your servants to read it. You must promise me to find the darkest dungeon in the land and lock it away to never be discovered. I cannot allow it to harm my country, but after seeing the wonders of yours, I can neither allow it to come to harm. I... I promise. The Duchess said, taken aback at the Makeba request. Alea sighed. Yes. Said she. Thank you, my Lady Anna. Please, let us talk of other things. Anna said, and they did. The pair spent many more days in the sunlight and grew closer while the days grew steadily colder, until one night under a full moon and a clear sky, Alea passed onward from this life. She did not go with a fuss and died quietly in the bed holding the Duchess's hand. It was afterward when things all changed. On her last breath, a wisp of power tinged first her lips, and then spread upward and out into a glimmering mist, searching for a host. There was nothing there from her world save the book, and the streams of magical energy which normally passed through family instead bound themselves to a tome Anna promised not to read. Anna drowned her room in tears of mourning and gave Alea, the witch of the French wilderness, a funerary worthy of nobles. A sadness hovered around Anna for a long while, but eventually, as with all things, the emotion faded into the back of her mind. It still pained her to think of Alea, so Anna did not allow herself to be reminded of their walks in the shade of the trees and her stories of her homeland. Months became years, and by the autumn of 1563, the castle of Calais, which had once felt a prison, now felt like home. Anna had long since come to terms with her place in the world and although she still longed for adventure, she sated herself with her husband's tales of his travels whenever he returned. 
It is here where more sadness comes to the castle's door. Anna, awaiting her husband's expected return, ignored the shape of the man on horseback who rode for the castle's gate. She thought only of him walking through the door and telling her all about the wondrous things he had seen. It was not to be. The man who stood in front of her in the main hall, as Alea had three years prior, looked grim and resolute. The Duchess's husband would not be returning home. Assassins sent by an English courtier had found him. The man assured Anna he had felt nothing when he died. But Anna fell to her knees, only for her captain of the guard to catch her. She remembered nothing else from the audience with the man, and only once she was safely in her chambers with her door barred did the tears come. Everyone in her life was gone, and she was alone, as solitary as the rocks in the sea out of her window. With a need to feel a connection with someone, somehow, or even across the dimensions, Anna lifted the mattress off her bed and pulled Alea's book from under it. With breath caught forever in her throat and choking back tears, Anna, the abandoned Duchess of Calais, began to read. The townspeople of Calais had always had a special place in their hearts for gossip and rumour. In those times, the local favourites were either about where the English may attack, or the French would retaliate, and why they had heard so little news from the castle lately. It hadn't taken long for the flow of information from the castle to slow from a steady stream down to the tiniest trickle. Then, on New Year's Eve, the gates shut, and guards disappeared from the ramparts, and the Duchess stopped holding audiences. Almost at once, the rumours began circling, becoming wilder and more outlandish by the day. People told and retold what they knew, thought they knew, or what their friends thought they knew. None of them were the truth, and that was how Duchess Anna wanted it. Reality was so much stranger than any fiction the people of Calais could have concocted. Duchess Anna had changed. It shouldn't have happened all at once, but the longing and loneliness had opened up her soul and wrenched it to pieces. She was shattered when her husband died, and when she turned to the one thing she could latch onto, the one token her friend had left her, the effect took hold instantly. The second Duchess Anna touched the first page inside the heavy leather-bound covers, the magic flowed outward and bound itself to her. Alea hadn't had the strength at the end to pass her power, nor did she have the desire to curse Anna with it. But the book was a much stronger conduit. Anna could not read the words in the book. It was from a land far from her own. But the power did not need her to know the words. Anna, in that moment, discovered the witch of the French wilderness had more power than she had ever truly shown. It bound itself to Anna and wove itself into her being. It was a dark and oppressive power. Most magic isn't inherently good or evil, 
But this was not magic from our plane. The place this heavy shroud of magic came from was tainted, and the magic had absorbed that rot. Now that rotten power infected Anna. Not only gave her the ability to use it as she wished, but it also removed her inhibitions against it. Anna's spine stretched and elongated. Her hands gripped the tongue, and she let out a scream as her bones popped and cracked trying to contain the power. Anna's face formed into a mask of rage and pain. Her fingernails split into needle-like spikes, and a black fog appeared above her, falling over her shoulders like a cloak of sadness and wretched, vile desire. She had a need then. A need to kill someone. A need to make others feel the loss and abandonment she felt. The saying misery loved company. And she was misery. Then, as immutable and unstoppable as a wave crashing outside her castle, she left her chamber to share her misery. None of her servants, whom she had spent years with, survived the night. None of her guards, who had protected her since she first came to the castle, lived till the dawn. The only breathing entities besides Anna herself inside the stone walls the next day were the crows pecking away at the freshly dead on the courtyard's flagstones. All of these things happened the night Anna learned she had lost her husband, and long before the rumors began to circulate throughout Calais. The intervening time allowed Anna to practice her new and necromantic abilities. Soon after the night of carnage, the bodies began to rise. It started with twitching, and grew to full animation. But then after time and practice, Anna learned she could do even more. She created new and strange creatures as an homage in the tales Alea had told her. With surgical precision, Anna snipped and stitched creatures from myth and legend into reality. Monstrous walls flapped leathery wings and pale, hunched fiends clutched jagged knives. Both patrolled the interior walls, and the winged walls nested in the castle's bailey. The Duchess sheathed one of her creatures in the clothes of her guards and servants. She granted it human form, and guided its movements herself. Empowered with the ability to speak, Anna walked the corpse down to the town one night and began the rumors herself. The story grew, just as she knew it would. The people could not resist the tale of the Duchess Anna held hostage in her own castle by her traitorous entourage, and their wicked magic summoned monsters to imprison her. And finally, heroes came to Calais, bent on rescuing Duchess Anna to increase their glory and fortune. Instead, all they did was increase Anna's forces as she added their corpses to the pile. You will have noticed by now, dear listeners, this is not a fanciful tale. It is one of warning and one of struggle. And it was a struggle for Duchess Anna, who had lost the two people she cared for most deeply. That event was only the beginnings of her fall and the subsequent descent to madness over the summer of 1564 drew her closer to her newfound power. 
Anna crafted a crown of bones for herself, and made her many undead servants weave leather cloaks with gold inlaid patterns for which she channeled her inner magic. She became a cracked reflection of who she once was, melded with how the witch Alea looked when she had first arrived at the castle of Calais. The twisted evils in the book and Alea's power wove themselves into a homogenous royally mixture within Anna, and she found she could not escape their grasp. Her mind shrunk back and hid from the horror she inflicted for many months as the legend of the Bone Duchess slowly took over the story of the hostage noble until, one night, a sliver of Anna's old self forced a dichotomy within the thing she had become. It was only a small schism, but while it was there, Anna had her first sane thought since the night she read the book and lost her husband. Duchess Anna took the book now, she threw it into a cold, empty, iron-bound trunk and wrapped heavy chains around it. Then, with as much speed as she could muster, straining against the pain and mania forcing their way back inside her mind, she tossed the trunk down the well in the castle's bailey and ran. The further she traveled from the book, the more importantly, the memories of what she did, the more she felt as her old self. It would not erase her actions and the scars on her psyche would follow her forever. But after three days in the wild south of the city, and surviving on her power alone, she finally seemed clear of the cloud of horror. Duchess Anna made her way to Paris and returned to court as a widow. There were many questions surrounding her appearance as well as questions as to her conduct over the summer. But Anna sidestepped these questions and navigated the nuances of the French court with a magnificent ease only a person who has dissected the minds of heroes ever could. She held the mania at bay as best she could, but it was ever-present and always looking in over her shoulder, trying to force its way back into control. Anna did indeed lose that control on occasion, and dismembered bodies would appear in Paris back alleys, as was all too common in that time. No one ever suspected the beautiful and cunning Duchess Anna of such precise violence. After a year, Anna caught the eye of another suitor, and, once the appropriate time had passed, they married. She gave him three handsome boys. All was well in the world, and rumors of moving bodies only teased the corners of polite society. She still gave in to the urges, but hid them well. This went on for years, and her sons grew to adulthood. They all took on posts assigned by the king and accepted gratuitous rewards for their performances, until an English king stepped in to make his presence known. In those days and even now, dear listener, the English king envied the French and looked on with jealousy to its city of Calais, which had once been English. The king sent assassins, much as he did against the Duchess Anna's previous husband. Anna, now a marchioness, had not slept idle and raised her children. No, this woman was, deep to her core, still the Bone Duchess of Calais, and her cunning and devious necromantic abilities intercepted the would-be assassins. She turned them, once dead, into her servants. Then, Marchioness Anna marched those vile men back to the English king to report their success. 
The king accepted their request for an audience, and took them back to a private chamber so he could hear in exquisite detail exactly how they had felled and their sons. Instead, the assassins pulled out their blades, and as once happened to the Roman Emperor Julius Caesar, they descended on their lord, and the bone duchess smiled. She lived out the rest of her days killing those she needed to stave off the creeping necromantic mania and protecting her family. She never returned to the castle of Calais, never retrieved the book, and was never caught. This twisted tale was created by an Apollo Plus creator. Apollo Plus is a subscription that lets you listen to your favorite audio fiction series with no ad interruptions while supporting your favorite fiction and horror creators. Shows on Apollo Plus have no ads. They grant early access to new content, offer exclusive episodes and behind-the-scenes clips, season supercuts, and more. And the collection of shows is always growing. 70% of the revenue goes to the creators you love and helps them make their next audio adventure possible. You can support dozens of creators with one subscription. So join Apollo Plus today by downloading the Apollo Podcast app for iOS and Android or by visiting apollopods.com. But don't think that you can escape the horrors.